morning, and we are going to finish the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to bring together all of these, these last few ones. Uh, we're looking at faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We've looked at Galatians 5. We've been there for quite a while, and some of you are probably ready to move on and go, goodness, how long is this book? Uh, it's got another chapter, folks. So, uh, but the beauty uh, of what Paul wrote was he said this, you need to know this grace and this gospel over and over and over again. So in a few weeks, we're going to finish up with Galatians, but guess what? We're going to go on and study something that you need to hear over and over and over again. The profound love of God in Christ given to you and apply it in a different way in your life. Paul was saying that there is a battle that goes on, and he was challenging the people of Galatia. We said that it was a spiritual Disneyland in the ancient Near East, what would be modern-day Turkey, that it was a place where there were temples and gods and religions and philosophies. There was wealth. Uh, there was just this mingling of cultures that were all there. It was, uh, it was a metropolis sort of area. And they came in, and Paul went through the region, and he began these churches. It says that he actually convalesced there. And in that convalescence, in that time of healing, he did what was natural to him. He went and he hung out and he didn't want to talk to anybody. And he had his Kindle and he just read and he prayed and he isolated himself. Of course not. Paul would have no concept of what we call leisure. For Paul, leisure and convalescence, for Paul going and strengthening himself, mind, body, and spirit, was to go and to share the radical love of Jesus Christ and to establish these churches where he went and he proclaimed the gospel and churches were begun. And then Paul left and he left them in the capable hands of men that he had trained to be elders and overseers of those churches. And he left them there, but he would write back. And he realized that after he left that there were other guys who had come in from Jerusalem and they were preaching a different gospel. Paul had preached a gospel that was all Christ. It begins with Christ and in the middle it's Christ, at the end it's Christ. It was by faith that you have been saved through grace in Christ alone and nothing else, not of yourselves. Even that faith is a gift of God so that none would boast. He wrote that to the church in Ephesus in that same general area. But in Galatians, these people began to see, well, I can start with Jesus but then to finish this off, I've got to really roll up my shirt sleeves, pull up my bootstraps, and go. It's up to me to finish this thing. And Paul said, may it never be. And he used incredibly strong language. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Can you imagine if I walked in next week and my beginning introduction to you was, oh, you foolish people. I'd probably have a short tenure here. My emails would be filled up and my schedule would be jam-packed for the rest of the week. How dare you call me foolish, Bill? Well, Paul said, we are, it is the height of foolishness, of self-deception, of idiocy to think that in some way, shape, or form, we add something to God's plan of salvation. He said, God has taken care of it. And that we're to accept that and believe that and live it out in all of its fullness that it is Christ alone. That Christ plus us messes up the whole formula. And it's not a gospel at all. It's actually quite damnable. 
And we said before that he had nothing good to say about those men who came from Jerusalem preaching this mixed gospel. He said they should be cast out. They should be cast out. And you shouldn't listen to them. It was that pervasive and that dangerous. And now he's coming and he's walked through and he's challenged Peter. You remember he challenged Peter publicly about Peter's racism and about his, understand, his misguided sense of walking off out of line with the gospel. And now he's coming and he's saying, now the spirit of God has taken up residence in you. It is living in you. You do realize that, don't you? I mean, folks, you could start every day in the simple contemplation that the spirit of God The third person of the Trinity has taken up residence in you. And you could spend the rest of your day amazed by that alone. And we actually should be. And Paul says it has taken up residence there and it is pushed out and killing and killed uh, this other part that was there. And that is our fallen sinful nature, that old man, that old self, uh, that ego that is there. And it has now created this new desiring center, which is of the spirit that desires to do the things which pertain to God, which desires to live in a way that honors God, which bears this fruit uh, of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Control, that those are being born out in our lives, we said, naturally. How does an apple tree produce apples? Does it have to think about it? Does it have to white knuckle it, bear down every fall in the mountains of North Carolina just to go, gotta get those apples out? It comes naturally. Paul, the same way, was saying that for a Christian, The fruit of the Spirit is a natural consequence, a natural outgrowth of the residence of the Spirit in us. So it challenges us. If you don't see the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life, the question needs to become, is the Spirit there? It's a challenging question. It is one that only you can really answer. It's one that makes us go really deep. To go, is this fake joy? Is it self-contrived self-control? And and what is it? Or is it spirit generated in me? And then there's this battle that happens. How many of you all sense a battle going on in your life? That the things that you want to do, you find yourself not doing. And the things you don't want to do, you find yourself doing. Anybody wrestle with that? That's a good thing, folks, by the way. Some of you have bought into a lie that says, hey, when I get this Christian gig down, when I get it all down pat, everything's going to be smooth sailing. I'm just cruising along. Joy just comes. I just love everyone, and I just appreciate them. Even that person that used to drive me crazy, I just, I just walk straight up to them. I don't try to avoid them. I don't even look at my caller ID anymore. I answer every phone call. I'm not mature enough not to look at my caller ID. No, there's a battle. And sometimes, interestingly enough, when is that battle pitched? Right on the heels of God doing something awesome in your life or you having an awesome time in his word or this sort of spiritual high where you're, you're just covered in little Jesus bumps and you just feel all good and you're great and you walk out from that moment and you're like, holy cow, how did I just do that? How did I just do that? There's a battle going on. And it's a pitched battle. Because Satan wants your heart. 
and he can't get it. So he's going to do everything he can to cause chaos in the middle of it. So Paul is saying this fruit of the Spirit is born out in your life. And the last three things that we're going to look at this week, this, um, these concepts here and these fruit that we come out are faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul in particular said fruit. We said it's not fruits with an S, but fruit of the Spirit. And that these are all facets of the fruit. And so you can't say, well, I've got gentleness, but I don't have self-control. God just didn't give me that fruit. Well, if you have the Spirit, then you will see self-control borne out. And you will see gentleness. And you will see love. And joy. Not all in their fullness. Not all equal. But you will see all of them being borne out in our lives. And so we come this morning and we look at this passage again. And he said, but you know the works of the flesh, beginning there in verse 19. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If those are the things that define your life, if that's the fruit that's born out in your life, he's saying that you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so if you look at that list and other lists in the scripture and you bring them together and you go, those aren't just flashes that happen. All of us lose our temper from time to time. All of us get caught up in different things from time to time and sin. But he's saying if these are the overarching marks of your life, the things which define your life, then you should pause for a moment and be careful of your citizenship. But he says, but those who do inherit the kingdom of God, those who are citizens of the king of the kingdom, they bear fruit of the spirit, that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, Let us be led by the Spirit. Let us walk by the power of the Spirit and see developed in us this idea of faithfulness. The word faithfulness is a Hebrew word that Paul uses here. And it's the word that in most of your Bibles and most of the English translations is translated loving kindness. So when you see the word loving kindness, uh, most of the time it is for the Hebrew words translated into Greek, obviously in the New Testament, uh, that is chesed, covenant loyalty or covenant faithfulness some of you have been studying through genesis over in the adult sunday school class and you learned uh, that god created or started a covenant with man with abraham and a covenant relationship was basically from a king to a lesser one saying that we i'm going to make a deal with you i will promise to do these certain things for you i will give you certain blessings as long as you stay in subordination to me, as long as you pay your uh, debt to me, as long as you do all of this. But the moment that you step out from doing what is agreed upon, then you will gain curses. And the way that a covenant was settled was it would take, uh, two, it would take let's say, an oxen, would cut the ox in half, and they would lay that bloodied body there. And the king would take the, the vassal of the servant, and he would walk like a figure eight through the middle of the oxen. What do you think the king was trying to say to the servant or to the lower person? Part of the curse is that your blood is going to be spilled. If you break this covenant, your blood is going 
to be spilled. He was really also saying, if I break this covenant, my blood will be spilled. But very few kings, as we know, dictators, would ever say they broke a covenant. They just readjusted it. They just amended it. They just changed it a little bit. But the amazing thing about the covenant that God made with Abraham is this. Where was Abraham when God made that covenant? He was asleep over here. And it says that God himself walked through the covenant, through the parts, as if to say to Abraham, hey, sleeping Abraham, I've made this covenant with you, and you're going to gain all of the benefits of it. And when you break it, which you will, my son, his blood will be shed for you. He'll get all the curses that you deserve. He'll drink that Old Testament language, that cup of my wrath. He'll have to drink it down. You never will. What an amazing statement. And so now, throughout the course of all human history, in the midst of that covenant that's set up, we keep messing it up, don't we? We keep messing. You guys admitted this week that you messed up. I saw you. We have secret cameras. We videotaped you. So I'll bring it back and YouTube it for you. But every one of you said that you messed up. I messed up too. Oh, no. What happens? Christ was split for me. And God is faithful to his promises. He doesn't make addendums to it. He doesn't change it. He says, folks, I'm faithful to you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. That's amazing faithfulness. Because do we deserve for him to be faithful to us? Absolutely not. Did anything in us garner his faithfulness? No. And yet we can still be the absolute benefactors of it. We can be the recipients of this incredible faithfulness. And so what Paul is saying here is when you gain a glimpse of the gospel, when you see the spirit of God moving and dwelling in your heart and bearing fruit, it will bear the similar kind of faithfulness that God himself has. That you will be a faithful person. That you will be a loyal person person, a person of integrity that will walk through with another person who does not deserve your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to another person is not dependent upon them. You hear that? I have people come, and this is not an indictment of divorce. Many people I I know have wrestled through divorce, and God gives reasons for divorce. But I sometimes have people come into my office and what they're looking for is the man or the woman will say, my husband or my wife is a scoundrel. They went out and they did all of these things. They broke God's law. They they did the very things that God said that I could divorce them over. Do I have freedom of conscience to leave my husband or wife? And my answer, if it's biblical, is yes. By freedom of conscience, by the word of God, you can leave but you don't have to. What? He did this. She did that. Now again, do not hear me. I'm not saying women stay in an abusive relationship just to be beat up every day. I'm not saying stay in relationships where you are hurt and wounded. Don't hear me say that. God does say that you can leave. But I'm saying that there are other times when you don't have to. And I always get this look, sort of like some of the looks that you're giving me. 
what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. That person gave you every right in the world to leave them. But you don't have to. Because when you gaze upon the absolute immensity of the faithfulness of God in your life and how many reasons you've given him, how often you've committed adultery to him, how often you've run off and played the harlot, how often you've gone off and served other gods, how often you've gone off and broken every one of those commandments, and he said, I'm still going to stay faithful to you. It gives you the potential and the opportunity and the power to forgive an unforgivable sin. It gives you the opportunity to do something that the world would look at you and go, you're absolutely nuts. Why would you love that friend that way? Why would you stay with that person? Why would you remain faithful to that person in that way? Why would you do that? And your only recourse is, I know they don't deserve it. What they deserve is for me to walk away. What they deserve for me is to hate them. But I, I read this story in Hosea. It was this Old Testament prophet that, that I heard about. And God gave him his first prophetic job. And this young prophet must have been so excited to get his first prophetic job. And you can imagine he went up there to get his assignment from God. And God said, here's your job, Hosea. Go find a prostitute. Go find a whore and marry her. Um, God, I'm supposed to do what? Go find this harlot named Gomer and marry her and be faithful to her as a husband. Okay, God. So Hosea went out and he found Gomer and he married Gomer. And you can only imagine what had to have been going on in Gomer's life to lead this woman to a place where she was willing to give herself away sexually to every other man there? What sort of sense uh, in her life, what devastation had happened for her to be at that point? And here comes this man, Hosea, into her life and he says, I'm going to marry you and make you my wife and I'm going to be faithful to you. And they lived together for a while and they had some children And then all of a sudden, some of those old demons came back and those old addictions and those old stories were retold within uh, Gomer's ears and life. And it says that she ran off from him and she left Hosea. And she went and was living with another man. And God said to Hosea, Hosea, go find your wife and love her. Go be faithful to her. You can imagine what's probably going on in your mind. But God, she's a prostitute. And now she's living with another man. Don't you understand what this is going to do to my reputation in the community? Don't you realize that I don't deserve this? That I've been faithful to her, but yet she hasn't been faithful to me? Why do I have to go do that? Hosea, go do it. And in the life of Gomer, what we see in this story through Hosea is that she was with another man. But every now and then there'd be this knock on a door. And it would be Hosea. And he would say to this other man, Here's food for my wife. She loves to wear red. Here's a red dress for her. Give this to my wife and take care of her. 
and he'd leave. And that man would go and give those gifts to Jose or to Gomer. But he wouldn't say, hey, your husband gave them to me. He would give them to her. And then after a while, after he'd used her up and didn't want her anymore, he cast her out. And God said to Hosea, Hosea, go to the trading block today at the slave auction. And you're going to see someone there that you'll recognize. And it says in Hosea that he purchased her back for an epoch of flour and some grain and a couple of shekels. And scholars have said that's the exact price of a slave in those days. So you can imagine in that society a woman who was a prostitute and now an adulteress who's been kicked out. What rights did she have in society? Absolutely none. And she was to be sold at auction. And she's standing there, probably stripped naked, humiliated in front of everyone, being bid upon. And she hears a voice, I'll buy her. And she knew that voice. Oh no, that's Hosea's voice. That's my husband's voice. He says, I'll buy her. And the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, sold. Gomer, go with Hosea. What rights did Hosea have with Gomer at that point? You know what he could have done? He could have killed her on the spot. He could have stoned her for her adultery. He could have cast her out. He could have treated her like a slave. But God said, and go and read it today, by the way. God said, cover her nakedness. And it says there, hear the words, so beautifully spoken. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. And she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. And she shall seek them but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me Then, and in verse 8, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold which they used for Baal. Do you see that picture of God saying, I provided those things. And the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love the cakes of raisins which are given to Baal. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be to you. Hosea, representative of God, came to Gomer, representative of us, and covered her nakedness and said, come home. I love you. I'm committed to you. Don't go run after other lovers again. Let me be your lover Let me be the faithful one to you. Folks, you want a story that would have Hollywood on its ear. 
paint that story of a love story like that. When you question whether or not you can be faithful to a friend, a cause to have integrity in a situation that a person in your life has done everything and they deserve for you to walk away. They deserve your scorn. They deserve your shame. They deserve your hatred. Here's how the Spirit develops the fruit of faithfulness in you. It points you to a God who says, I won't leave you. Even though you have acted like the whore, even though you have acted like that harlot, even though you've gone and run after other gods, even though you have deserved every bit of me walking away from you, I won't walk away from you. So as you consider that and let it wash over you and let it work on your heart and let it work in you, you'll begin to see cracks in that hardness and a softness that says, I'm going to remain faithful. Even though you may not be able to ever reciprocate that to me. Even though there may not be anything that you gain, that I gain from my relationship with you. I remain faithful to you in that. What an amazing picture. So, how do we see the fruit of faithfulness born out in our lives? There's not a 12-step program for it. There's not a book that tells you do this and do this and do this. There is only a God who says, let me show you how I've acted towards you. Let me show you that you've run after your less wild lovers and that you've gone after them and you've done all of that and I was the one who continued to provide for you even in the midst of it. I think about this on a personal level. I can't imagine If my wife was with another man and had left me and my boys, that I would daily go knock on the door and say, I love Lisa so much. Take care of her for me. Love her well. But you have a God in heaven, a husband who has wed you who says to you, I will always take care of you. So why would you run away from that kind of lover? The world is filled with, as one person put it, less wild lovers. They offer you love. They offer you these things. But at the end of the day, all you end up on is naked and on a slave block in total bondage, in total distress, in total loss. When you have a husband at home, men to you as well, the picture of God's faithfulness to you, of saying, why would you run after that when you've got me? And if you do run, I'm that prodigal God who's going to come and find you and bring you home. And I'm going to cover your nakedness. And I'm going to put back on your signet ring. And I'm going to embrace you and kiss you and celebrate you with the celebration of the fatted calf because my child who'd run after other lovers, my child who had gotten so distracted in all of this, they finally turned and they saw the beauty of a cross and they saw the beauty of my son and they saw me and they came home. And I love them. That's faithfulness. That's only borne out by a gospel and the spirit building into your heart and seeing it go. And then there's gentleness and self-control, which I guess we'll get to next week. 
the beauty of me getting to set up for the sermon series. But we'll get there. I'll give you a little taste of it. You want to know how to get gentleness? Look at the one who says that he would never put out a smoldering wick or ever crush a bruised reed. And you want to talk about self-control? Don't be controlled by everything else, but to see the control of the Spirit is actually freedom for the life of the believer. And you gain all of these things the same way. Look resolutely at the cross. There are some of you here today who what I've said to you sounds absolutely foreign. We would love to introduce you to Christ. And so if today you've been running and today you've played that harlot, today you've been running around, God is looking at you and saying, come back. So if you want, I'll be up here afterwards. Maybe a couple of the elders will come up and they'll pray with you and remind you of that great lover who says, don't run after anybody else. I'll love you the best. Let's pray.